Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, psychedelics, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, our hosts, Anne and Emmeline Lewis, are back for a new episode with special guest Dr. Dennis McKenna, ethnopharmacologist and the director and president of the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. Dennis joins us this week to discuss his work with the Hefter Research Group and his latest projects at the McKenna Academy, including the Biogenosis Project in Peru, which won Best Transpersonal Documentary at the 2023 Psychedelic Film and Music Festival in New York City. In this episode, Dennis shares his insights on the challenges ahead surrounding patient access to psychedelic-assisted therapies, as well as the importance of honoring indigenous knowledge and practices throughout the process of integrating these emerging therapies into the U.S. healthcare system. If you're interested in learning more about Dennis and the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy, visit the links in our show notes. Also, be sure to follow Dennis on LinkedIn and check out his new podcast series, Brain Forest Cafe. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Dr. Dennis McKenna of the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. Dennis McKenna, it is such an honor to have you join us um, and for taking the time. You are one busy man. Um, and I just wanted to, before we even start, um, thank you for your work in the space. Um, I think that, you know, in in prepping for this and in, in doing our Dennis McKenna research, there is just, you're, you're so prolific and you're such an effective communicator for this industry that um, I just think it, I just think we need to thank you um, for, for the work you've done and certainly for taking the time for our little old podcast. Sure. Uh, I'm happy to do that. Uh, thank you. Thank you for all those kind words. I don't know that they're justified, but you know, we're all in this space, as you put it, we're plugging away. Uh, MAPS is certainly an influencer and a, and a major force, you know, in moving this forward. So I have great respect for Rick uh, and the work that he's done over the years. I've known him longer than I care to admit because it would, <laughs> you know, it would give away both of our ages. But I, I knew him long before either of us were anybody, quote, whatever that means. You know, uh, I mean, there was a certain point where he was just had this this vision and this aspiration uh, back in the early 80s. Maybe before that, uh, much of his efforts and was around MDMA, you know, uh, that mm -hmm. that's where MAPS kind of was focused at the time. And and he felt that he wanted to move that forward for to get approval and, and so forth, which which he manages is still working on it, but closer than I mean, ever. Close Certainly closer than ever. And I mean, we were, we, before we started recording, we had been talking about maps and PS 2023 and, and kind of the, the 
impact of it. And you said, um, you know, in, in one of your um, interviews that that PS 2023 was a maker um, in the this psychedelic renaissance. And I kind of wanted to see being that you've known Rick for so long and that you've just been engaged in this industry for so long. What made you say that? What did I say about it? That it was a maker event, that it was a pivotal event in in like a moment in time in the well, psychedelic I, renaissance. I think, I think these MAPS, uh, MAPS conferences, 2017, I said it about 2017 too, but then uh, but then we all had to deal with COVID and, COVID and things sort of, you know, everything had to go virtual and so on. But I feel that these events are very important because they bring a diverse community of interests and expertise and, and passions and, and vision together. And so MAPS, is, you know, these events are catalysts and, we thought uh, when 27 maps 2017, I did a couple of lectures, and I think I said, you know, this is the psychedelic revolution. Well, yes and no, but at PS 2023, even more so, you know. So it's going forward, and it's it's really good to see, you know. I mean, it's. It's complicated because, you know, psychedelics are of interest to such a wide, uh, diverse group of people and so on. It's, uh, you know, and there's everybody, I don't know what you say, everyone brings their own perspective and, and often their own agenda to it. That's just the way we are. You know, we're humans and uh, we... Uh, you know, we relate to something like this in so many diverse ways. Not everything about the psychedelic revolution or maybe renaissance, people prefer to call it the renaissance. It's not all good. It's certainly not all bad. You know, it's it's kind of that, it's a net improvement, let's put it that way, over the day when these things were prohibited and vilified and people that advocated them and talked about them were, you know, not received well by the mainstream, whatever that was. It was a very marginal kind of thing, you know, but we were all passionate and we stuck with it. And I think what's happened in in over the last decade or maybe two decades that's really helped to move the the uh you know the collective vision forward is there's been great science done and people respect science and the research that's shown that these substances can be therapeutic in significant ways promise effectively a revolution in mental health care once they can be approved and are accessible to people and it's certainly true that our mental health care uh, infrastructure and systems now are disappointing, to say the least, in mm -hmm. their effect. So psychedelics are a promise of a new paradigm. But new paradigms require, you know, you have to push against the old paradigm and you have to move it out of the way. And paradigms have a way of not wanting to be, uh, not wanting that. So 
again, people like Rick and uh, and his colleagues and, and others as well, I, I should put a plug in here for the Hefter Research Institute, which I have been a founding board member. We got started around the same time. And we've had impact, you know, but we are much less uh, visible to the rest of the world. Our focus has been more just on the research. And we've tried to raise funds primarily from individual donors who want to support this. So mm -hmm. we lack the resources uh, to create a public relations presence, which MAPS has certainly been successful in that, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's good because this is this has spread the this has wakened effectively global consciousness to the promise of psychedelics. Hefter was a little different. I mean, Hefter was basically founded by a bunch of nerds in some ways, you know, therapists, neuroscientists, chemists, pharmacologists, people like that, who also had the vision, you know. Uh and we've been successful, particularly in the in the uh, psilocybin realm. I mean, for a certain uh, period of time, it was kind of like, well, MAPS does MDMA and Hefter does psilocybin, but nobody has ownership of either one of these things. We we were able to fund the uh, much of the research that brought psilocybin into clinical studies and that sort of thing. Uh, so, and we just celebrated our 30th anniversary as well. And at that point, I think we, uh, uh, one of our board members, I think it was George Greer, mentioned uh, all the papers that have been published that had to acknowledge uh, support from Hefter, about 350 peer-reviewed wow. papers wow. coming from uh, Hefter-supported research. So quietly with you know, much less fanfare, but we've also been affecting. So there, <laughs> we're, we're all we're all part of we're all part of the same the same collective effort. You know, yeah, and it's it's important to have so many coming together, especially at conferences like PS twenty three from so many different backgrounds. Um, especially as we try to bring integration to the U.S. healthcare system, um, it's important to get every perspective and make sure that we're doing things the right way. Um, but before we get into more of that, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your talk at PS twenty three and and kind of explain to our listeners that uh, maybe didn't get to attend or haven't caught any of the uh, maps. Um, replays. Um, I actually am not sure it's out. The uh, I definitely will put a link in the show notes when it's actually out um, because we are releasing them uh, as part of the virtual trip for PS 2023. But um, so for those who weren't there, <laughs> um, and he, yeah. <laughs> so I was back here in the background for that one. So very yeah. excited that this uh, aspect is is brought to the conference. But yeah, Dennis, tell us tell us what your talk is about. Yeah, so what I presented was, uh, again, uh, this film uh, that I just mentioned to you, Biognosis. This, so I have a nonprofit that is separate from Hefter. It's called the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. And it's uh, McKenna.academy, if anybody wants to see it. We're focused more on, it's not strictly about psychedelics, but it certainly is 
related to psychedelics. What we're trying to do is preserve biodiversity and indigenous knowledge and bring indigenous knowledge into the 21st century by uh, by bringing it together with, with uh, scientific knowledge about these plants and plants in general, you know. So our project around the Bionosis, uh, the Bionosis Initiative uh, is uh, uh, to uh, digitize this herbarium in uh, at the University of the Amazon in Iquitos. And uh, I've worked with the curator of the herbarium over 50 years, believe it or not. He was a graduate student at the time, and I was a graduate student in 1981 when I first went there. And uh, we have became good friends, and we've worked on together on various projects over the year. The herbarium is a collection of plants. I don't know if everyone in your audience knows what an herbarium is. It's it's basically a library of plant specimens. And uh, the specimens in the UNAP herbarium, as they call it, it, are especially valuable because they do come from this center of biodiversity. Uh, in, in the Amazon. And it's a typical developing country, sort of third world herbarium. It's run down, it's underfunded, it's neglected, but it has the potential to become a center for variety of uh, research, uh, you know, uh, people in various disciplines with interest in Amazonian plants, whether that be their medicinal uses or their therapeutic uses or other aspects we may not even know about, you know, their, their role in the ecology, their, their, uh, you know, all of the things that plants are important for nutritional value. Uh, and so this project is to try to educate people about that herbarium and raise funds to undertake this project which is rather a large project. And uh, so that's what I presented on. I showed We showed the film at MAPS, the one that was just selected for this award. And then I had a, a slide deck, a pitch deck, essentially about the project, what we want to do. Uh, in botanical sciences, uh, these days, uh, and I'm basically a botanist. That's that's where I come from, or an ethnopharmacologist, if you want to get fancy about it. But but we want in, to get fancy. Uh, we are in botanical fancy. sciences. What herbaria do these days is they digitize their collections. You know, they they scan them using different technologies, and then they put that online. You know, and this is what we want to do with the. UNAP herbarium in Iquitos. We want to digitize it and put it into a global database that can be accessed by anyone anywhere in the world for whatever purposes, you know, maybe research, maybe simply for education or to learn about these plants. So that's our goal. But we're also uh, trying to go uh, one step further. We, we're trying to create a VR uh, driven AI and VR driven uh, virtual interface to this herbarium so that 
a portal essentially to the collections in the herbarium, but where you actually feel like you're in the rainforest. You know, so it's a little more engaging than sitting at a computer and looking at scan after scan of, of collections. You know, that can get boring. Uh, if, if you're looking for specific things, that's useful. But many people who just want to see what's there, I mean, about 15 or 20 minutes of that. And, you know, they've seen enough. Right. right. So we want to we want to engage people. We want to make an interactive interface that is a what we're calling the visionary rainforest and make that real to people well to the extent that anything virtual is real but you know what i mean and so that's a long-term goal once we get these specimens digitized and scanned there are 150,000 collections uh in the herbarium only 50,000 of them are actually cataloged yeah, and there's a, the other hundred thousand are still in the bags they've been collected in. Some going back thirty years. So a big aspect of our of our project is to find the resources to basically fund a an army of work study students in Peru, so that they can come in and and integrate those collections into the herbarium. <laughs> So is there also like a, the physical component to it too? I mean, we talked about the the digitization and the AI, AI and VR component, but like I, this just makes me think of like the doomsday vault or the seed bank up in Norway where they're like cataloging seeds. Is this is there this similar physical component yes, as well? Yes, there's a physical. Okay. So so in, in the sort of botanical collections game, if you will, or or activities. So you've got seed banks. Those are very important, of course, for especially for preserving endangered species. I was just reviewing an article, uh, uh, an article uh, about a BBC show, 45% of all plants are now endangered. You know, so this is a serious thing. Anyway, seed banks are very important. And then the other resources, botanical gardens, and then herbaria. And botanical gardens very often have herbaria associated with them. Uh, you know, uh, but herbaria are libraries of plant specimens, you know, libraries of these usually pressed, preserved specimens with label data about what they are, if, if the identity is known and who collected them, where they were collected and when they were collected. So for a environment around, you know, the environment around Iquitos, if you've got 150,000 specimens, you can think of those as nodes, you know, effectively every collection in the herbarium is a little piece of data you know, mm -hmm. about what the plant is and where it was collected. But then through linking that to larger databases that already exist, like genomic databases and phytochemical databases, pharmacology databases, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, each node can have these multiple links. So our idea for the visionary rainforest is effectively to present this interface as you'll be like flying through the rainforest, you know, at a certain altitude, you'll see these environment dotted with these, with these nodes and you can click a node 
and that represents a collection numbered and labeled in the herbarium. And then you can choose to effectively go down that rabbit hole. You know, you could say, okay, what's the genomics? What's the chemistry? What's the ethnomedical use? All of these things will be accessible. So each node becomes like an interactive uh, record of that plant and everything and with links to everything that basically is exists in the scientific literature about that particular plant, you know, and of course, most of these won't be psychedelics, but there will be psychedelics among them. And there, there are actually, there are psychedelics in the Amazon that have never been discovered. You know, we know about the famous ones, mm -hmm. ayahuasca and the snuffs and that sort of thing. Others are out there, you know, and are probably could be just as significant. They just don't have the, uh, you know, they don't have the the wide recognition that something like ayahuasca does, you know. And all of this knowledge is endangered because the 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 traditional knowledge of the people is uh, being lost you know, as their cultures become disrupted. And the species are also being lost, you know. So there is this body of information. The people's knowledge, the plants are linked. And because of climate change, because of changes in the environment, because of cultural changes, economic changes, and all that, all of this stuff is threatened and in danger of disappearing. And uh, it has been steadily disappearing for, you know, really for the last century. And that process is now um, accelerating. So this is an effort to kind of identify what is there and preserve it as much as possible. A and link, link people's traditional knowledge, which is often you know, it, it's Steam not <laughs> scientific in the way that, yeah. that we think of scientific, but the their practical knowledge often leads to scientific discoveries, you know. I so think that's incredibly it's, important. And, I, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, I want to get your take on how best you think that we can honor, respect, and, and ultimately empower the Indigenous um, throughout this this process of integration and um, and and what those key conversations might be that we need to be having. Well, it it takes uh, basically it takes substantial funding, you know, to to do this, and we're actually trying to raise ten million dollars to do this work, which is a lot of money, you know, uh, in in some senses, but in other ways, it's not so much, you know. I mean, in my talk, I think I mentioned that, you know, $10 million is less than a tenth the cost of a single F-35 fighter plane, <laughs> you know, for example. Yeah. And I think it does a lot more, it has a lot more benefit for life on Earth than an F-35 fighter plane. So that you can compare it in different ways or you know, the money that MAPS has, has uh, had to raise in order to advance MDMA into the therapeutic space. You're talking 
over well over a hundred million dollars, yeah. close to a mil, close to a billion dollars, probably. You know, and it's money well spent, and it's it's just the way that drug development is structured. You have to work within these regulatory guidelines. There's no way, no reason on earth why it should cost, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars to bring a a medicine like MDMA into the market. But then that's that's the context that you have to work in. So in that perspective, our hope is, uh, uh, you know, our, our goal is very modest. You know, we just want to create the tools that will give people access to this information. What they do with it is uh, up to individual resources, but researchers. Some people may identify a plant or compounds within those plants that can be developed into new medicines. And, you know, we're not proposing to do that. They can take it from there, but we're proposing to give them informational tools that will help guide that discovery process. I, I think I opened the uh, the talk at MAPS with uh, a quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, which was one of my favorite quotes. He said, what is a weed? A weed is a plant whose virtues have yet to be discovered. You know, and I think that's really true. There's no such thing as a weed. There's just, a, there are plants who we don't appreciate, you know, and what we consider a weed, that may be tomorrow's <laughs> cure for cancer. You know, we never yeah. know until we look into it. Hey, my friend um, has a YouTube channel and she's made coffee out of dandelions. So, oh, I'm sorry. Not poor dandelions. To, uh, they okay. have significance. Yes, I'm sure <laughs> they do. I just, yeah, I'm a person that kills succulents. So this is fascinating to me that, um, that people are good at this kind of stuff. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you've said, and I'm, I'm probably poorly paraphrasing this. Um, there is really no going through life without trauma. Um, and, and that just translates to a lot of people suffering. And I mean, I think you can't, you know, open the, the page of pages of the New York times without just seeing untold human suffering going on when it comes to, yeah. um, integrating Very difficult to watch all that. It yeah. is. It's incredibly difficult. And I know that there are people, um, you know, on the ground in, in Israel and in Gaza, you know, looking to do, um, you know, help with, with the, the, the PTSD and the trauma that's actually happening right now. Um, when it comes to, to the integration of psychedelics into modern mental health care, um, do you, where do you see this in 10 years? Do you see this being, do you see like MDMA assisted psychotherapy being something that is mainstreamed and being something that we can, you know, we can deploy therapists to war zones or, um, where do you, I guess, where do you see, the integration of these um, therapies in the U.S. healthcare system. Well, yeah, I would like to believe that uh, ten years from now, medicines like MDMA and psilocybin, and maybe other other psychedelics medicines, will be available. You know, in appropriate contexts. Uh, uh, 
I mean, if, if ten years from now, if we're not looking back and saying, "Oh, we're we're lucky we got that done ten years ago," it should not take another ten years. I mean, these these things should be online and available, hopefully within about two years. Now, you know, it's been a long process to get to this point, but you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful that. Uh, they will clear the final regulatory hurdles within the next couple of years, and then they'll be available. And then the question becomes, you know, it it's this is always complicated. Uh, but the the question becomes, I think it's important to think about access, you know. Mm. Uh if these therapies are only available as prescription medicines that you have to go to a clinic to take, you know, and you have to pay $30,000 to get the therapy, this is not good. You know, it creates yeah. a two tiered system, one that most people can't afford and one that the people who are probably most traumatized, you know, low income people, people that are impacted by climate change or war, that kind of thing, they're not going to be able to access those kinds of medicines. So there has to be a humanitarian side to this to make these things available to people that are really not part of the elite, you know, first world uh, populations. So that's difficult, you know, because one thing that we can say about the the current, you know, sort of its ascendancy of psychedelics is much of it is profit driven. Mm. You know, uh, uh, many companies are jumping in and they're trying to they basically view it. You know, capitalism is predatory in a certain way. And uh, they uh, they see an opportunity to make money. And, uh, you know, in some ways, I mean, I, I think capitalism is a double-edged sword. The motivation to profit can move research and development forward. But then there is this, you know, along with that becomes the impulse to make a discovery through patents or whatever, so that you own that property. And uh, we need to uh, create... Uh, mechanisms so that more people have access to this you know and uh, and i think maps is on the right track in a certain sense that they've they've created a for-profit entity and non-profit and they have a public benefit corporation and i don't know the you know all the nuts and bolts of it but i think that in general that's the right approach you know uh and and so good for them, you know, that they're again, they're leading the charge uh, uh, in this respect. None of this really uh, addresses the, you know, the other sort of elephant in the room, which has to do more with the natural psychedelics, things like ayahuasca and ibogaine and so on. These plants... Uh, you know, have been the stewards of indigenous communities for thousands of years, you know, un under the stewardship of indigenous communities. Now everybody loves them. And so it's actually created situation where people, you know, want to go to South America to take ayahuasca, for example, or go to 
Africa and experience ibogaine. Uh, the problem is that this is endangering these plants, you know, mm -hmm. due to over harvesting. The whole ayahuasca tourism phenomenon is a good example, you know, and I mean, it. like I say, it, it's, it's a many faceted thing. I have participated myself in organizing ayahuasca retreats and that sort of thing, you know, and I've seen people have incredibly healing experiences. Uh, so there is that benefit. But then as I've done this over about the last 10 years or so, I began to think this may benefit the people can, that can afford to take a vacation, basically go take ayahuasca and have uh, those experiences and maybe maybe help them with their trauma or addictions or anxiety or whatever whatever it is that that they're that they're interested in but then how how does that benefit the communities right. that they have to interact with how does that affect the 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 traditions because uh you know it it definitely i mean the indigenous indigenous communities effectively uh like anybody else, they're gonna provide the customer what they want, you know. So if you have these tourists coming and they expect a certain benefit, they expect to take the medicine. And you know, so much effort is made to provide retreat centers and places mm -hmm. where they can do that. Uh and a medicine that is uh formulated according to their expectations and so on. It's not traditional necessarily. And and that's okay too, because you know, traditions change, but the impact is different. I mean, you've got a situation that creates economic uh besides the impact on the plant resources, sustainable development. I mean, ayahuasca could save the world. Definitely, but we can't produce enough ayahuasca, you know, without completely depleting the Amazon. There's no way. So all of these complicated issues when you're talking about indigenous communities, which which are the originators of many of these plant medicines, you know, MDMA is exempt because MDMA is right. synthetic, you know, so it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to really. Uh, uh, address these things, but for something like psilocybin, in some ways, psilocybin is exempt too because there is uh, there's no issue with supply. Yeah, you know, you, I mean, you can be a dark room and so yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. Nobody's going to run out of psilocybin. <laughs> right. Ayahuasca, iboga, things like that, peyote, some of these rare things, the Sonoran Desert Toad is uh, now becoming popular and i don't know i hope that people are thinking about you know the impact of utilizing these medicines on the communities that are their stewards on the medicines themselves on the environment and so on it's complicated you know it's very complicated uh and you know, I, I've really had to rethink my own position about uh, 
doing these retreats, I I feel like uh, like I say, I have seen the men, I have seen the benefit of it, but I've also seen the downside of it. So it's complicated. Does it feel like colonial? If we could put, could that word apply? Like the colonization of these um, these practices. Does it feel like what the? Does it feel like the colonization? You know the. Yeah, in some ways it does. In yeah. some ways, in some ways, this is a repetition of what's always been done. Yeah. You know, with if you look at the history of the Columbia Exchange, you know, five hundred years ago, the word is biopiracy. You know, Europeans came to the Americas and they took the food and medicinal plants and, you know. A lot of those are what we eat now, you know, the the plant, the foods that were traditionally part of part of cultures are now part of the global food chain. And that's okay. I mean, everybody has to eat, right? And these things have been integrated economically. Uh we have to we have to uh, we have to recognize that indigenous people should have a bigger stake in this. We we just have to make an effort to help them have a place at the table, you know, and a substantial place, something a little more substantial that, well, you gave us all these plants and foods and medicines and so on. Thank you very much. We'll take it from here. We'll file patents. We'll make billions mm -hmm. from it. You're not going to get anything or not very much. So I, uh, you know, I, I sort of uh, there there are organizations that are trying to address this, uh, and uh, one of them, a couple of them, worth mentioning is the uh, the uh, Indigenous Medicine Conservation Fund, uh, which is trying to uh, pre preserve. Uh, their focus is primarily on these highly endangered psychedelics. Uh, Iboga, ayahuasca, the Sonoran Desert toad, those are kind of their three, and, and peyote, especially peyote is under particular pressure. So they're trying to develop ethical uh, frameworks for protecting these things without necessarily fencing them off, because you can't necessarily do that. So that's one of the organizations. The other one is ICERS. Which is the uh, I C E E R S the uh, uh, what is it What is it International Center for Ethnobotanical Education Research and Service ICERS.org. and they work very closely with the Indigenous Medicine Conservation Fund, and they have their own initiatives too. Uh, one thing that ICERS is doing that's sorely needed is they've created uh, an ayahuasca defense fund uh, to uh, protect uh, often curanderos and, and people like that come to North America or Europe. They bring their brew and they get arrested, you know, uh, for this, even though and have a conversation about whether these things are actually illegal in that form, but they run into trouble and uh, ICERS uh, has the uh, uh, Ayahuasca Defense Fund to basically, when someone 
like that gets into trouble, they can get legal resources and lawyers and, and that sort of thing through this program. And that's important. I'm somebody that I don't believe that any plant, I don't think any plant or organism or fungus or bacteria or any of that should be illegal. I don't think there is, I don't think that's a solution at all. You know, what, what, what gives us the authority? We're just another species on the planet. What gives us the right to say that you know, this plant, the opium poppy or the coca plant or these kinds of things should be, you know, eradicated from the face of the earth. I mean, that's just crazy. These are useful medicines in, their, in the context in which they're used. And sorry, I'm getting on the soapbox here a little no, bit. No, I love your soapbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we are here for the soapbox. But I want us to... Um, to end on a high note, what has you excited and or I know um, one of the questions in, in just doing some research, um, someone had asked you about a billboard. If you could if you could put in anything on a billboard, uh, what would it be um, to, to educate people about this space? But I guess we're asking you what what are you excited about and what would you love to see on the front page of the of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times tomorrow about this industry. Wow. Well, that's a tough uh, that's a tough question. I, I don't think there's any one thing. Uh, you know, I I uh, a couple of things. You know, which I have you might call direct download from my many experiences with ayahuasca. You know, uh, one of them is remember, excuse my French, but remember that we don't know shit. You know, we think we know, but everything we think we know should be open to question and reflection and all that. One of the messages I get from psychedelics consistently is just remember how little you know mm -hmm. and be humble about that and remember that there's whatever you think you know could be overturned next week you know uh, and this is this is this is the basis of science you know all knowledge is provisional you know we construct hypotheses we construct suppositions about phenomena in nature that we investigate, but we always have to keep open to the possibility that we are full of shit or that our suppositions are wrong or have to be revised, you know, or discarded entirely. So I think that's good because it, it invites us to keep an open mind and to remain humble, you know, to recognize there are limits to human knowledge, you know. And then the other... Uh, message i guess i would put on the billboard is something that another direct download from ayahuasca is to me was you monkeys only think you're running the show you know <laughs> yeah we're pretty yeah. arrogant aren't we we're pretty arrogant monkeys <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And, and and my takeaway from that since it came from a plant my takeaway was yeah, actually, the plants are running the show, you know, along with the fungi and everything else 
in the environment. But basically, if it weren't for the plants, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, because of photosynthesis, right? That's that's this little, not little, it's a major biochemical <laughs> miracle that plants have mastered in evolution, which sequesters carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and puts oxygen back into it. So the the burning of tropical rainforests, for example, is, uh, you know, it has consequences in, in that respect, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, so this is something we should, we should recognize the importance of, of plants and what they do for the, for the biosphere, because they are really What's just, if it weren't for plants, there would be no life on Earth. There's what's just sustaining life on Earth. So, you know, being a botanist, of course, I think that's the most important thing we have to understand. But, you know, take your choice. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So what we'll also, uh, I just want our listeners to know, we're going to put lots of um, links to what Dennis has talked about today, where you can donate um, a, a trailer to the film, um, which which lives on on the website, um, and and good luck with the film. So and it just won an award. What was the award it just won? You just well, found out today. Psych- it was the psychedelic film and music festival, you know. And we submitted this. We've submitted it to a number of festivals. This is the only one that we actually got an award. I was kind of surprised because the film is not really about psychedelics per se. It's about people in the Amazon, these communities, and their relation to plants in general, you know, which includes the psychedelics. But but to them, living in these rainforest environments, you know, the plants that are available to them are their pharmacy, essentially, not only their food, but also their medicines. And they, they, are you know these communities are impacted by global climate change as much or more than everybody else and covid and then they also have to contend with you know in that environment uh ayahuasca tourism and all that which has like i say you know good and bad aspects to it so uh that's really what the film is about, you know. I should mention a couple other things. Maybe if you go to the website, McKenna.academy, one of the other things you might want to take a look at or tell people is the ESPD, uh, which is yes. also on our menu. These two uh, conferences that we did, one in 2017 and one in 2022, ESPD ESPD 50 and ESPD 55 in 2022. ESPD stands for the Ethnopharmacologic Search for Psychoactive Drugs. And uh, both of the conferences were successful and all the presentations and everything are open access. And for this constituency, uh, you know, the MAPS community, it will be of interest to many people, I think. So that's something to take a look at. And of course, uh, we're a nonprofit, so people can send us as much money as they wish or not, and we're happy to take it. So well, we'll put all of those links we'll into hopefully the show use notes. it in good ways. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So if you've got if you've got the money, please donate. Um, Dennis McKenna, um, 
it's definitely not enough time, but we need to let you go. Um, thank you so much for all of the work you do. Also, we'll put a link into the book. We are your updated um, uh, version of the the beautiful book you wrote, um, Brotherhood. Oh yeah, Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss. Out. Yep. Yes, my Cine life with Terrence McKenna. Press. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so There's a new edition, story. a new afterward. Yeah. Yes. So we'll make sure we put a link there too. So please buy it. (laughs) Yes, please buy it. (laughs) Dennis, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. you Take care. Huge thanks to Dr. Dennis McKenna, endopharmacologist and the director, president, and founder of the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. You can check them out at McKenna.academy. And as always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us here at The Green Rush, you could find us on X, formerly Twitter, with the handle at the underscore Green Rush, or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast, or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We're always looking for feedback and guest ideas and love hearing from you. So please don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush and your favorite podcatcher. And we will catch you next week. Thank you. 104th take Shay, 104th take.